How is it that we're already almost a week into 2020 already? I can't believe I'm so late to this party, but you know what? Here we go. Welcome to the party, pal. Hey fam, welcome to a new episode of Stay Watching. As always, I'm your host, Larry, and actually it's the first Stay Watching of a new decade. It is 2020, and um, I am a bit late to the party, but let's uh, take a look back at the year 2019. And so in this episode, what I'm going to do is talk about a few of my favorite things from the year. Um, most of them are going to be films, but I'm going to talk about some TV shows as well, uh, maybe some video games, um, just things that kind of stood out to me, um, things that, you know, maybe some of you might have missed, especially if you don't keep up with every episode of the show. Um, and it'll just kind of give me an opportunity to talk about some of the things that I really love from this year. Um, there are going to be some things that I'm probably going to miss because, you know, as always, you know, I, I made myself a little cheat sheet here. I probably didn't put everything on here that I really should have. And, you know, it's easy. It's been a long year and there's probably stuff that I just forgot about that I did really enjoy. Um, and so... You know, I'd really be interested in once this is all over to hear, you know, did anything on my list make it on your list? Are there things that, you know, you really love that no one else did? Um, but we'll go over all of that once we're done here. So uh, stay tuned. I'll be right back. So yeah, 2019 feels like the longest year on record. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that I had to kind of keep reminding myself actually came out this year. You know, and, and you know, this this time around on the podcast for my year in the rear view, I, I'm not gonna talk about things that I didn't like so much or or just things that I kind of, you know, was disappointed by. So, you know, this isn't gonna be an episode where I talk about Star Wars or you know, Captain Marvel or things like that. It's going to be the things that, you know, really kind of got me excited at different points throughout the year. Um, and, you know, it's somewhat in chronological order, but uh, there might be some deviations here or there. So one of the first big things that got me really excited in 2019 uh, were the twin Firefest documentaries that we had. So um, if you don't remember, uh, Firefest was that really shoddily put together festival for influencer types and the well-to-do and everything like that jaw roll was involved and we at the beginning of the year we had two documentaries that came out um which basically kind of helped give us a full picture of how this thing happened and all of the different characters involved and why it was such a mess and you know i really just love thinking about you know the fact that you know, one, these documentaries could get so many people talking, so many people viewing them, and, you know, really had a great conversation going about kind of influencer culture and 
the way that we kind of uh, promote things now and, and what some of the challenges with that might be. So I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of kick off this year. Uh, a lot of great conversations there, a lot of great humor, um, a lot of WTF moments that we were all kind of able to share together. And, you know, again, I think it's it's such a telling thing about the past decade looking at that documentary and kind of how in some ways social media built up to that moment being a thing and then kind of seeing the fallout from it um, and just kind of thinking about the reality of things and what are we being sold online and what is the truth behind that thing and, and I feel like that was those documentaries were such a great moment for having that conversation and and really I feel like are, are, are going to be I don't want to call them like a turning point, um, but are something that are going to be useful in the way that we think about things going forward. Um, and even though it's not as good as of a documentary um, on Netflix, uh, there was a, a documentary called The Great Hack, which uh, talks about the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And I feel like that also, in a way, goes hand in hand with these Firefest documentaries where it's just, you know, really analyzing what is real, what is not real on social media. How are people using data to make decisions? How are basically, how are we being scammed and duped on a daily basis? And I know that's that's kind of like a scary thought, but um, I, I feel like all of these things kind of work in, tam in tandem. Um, so I, I think all of those things are really, really worth kind of looking at together. Uh, so moving away from the Fire Festival documentary, another thing that got me really excited this year uh, was, you know, and I'm going to move into the realm of video games real quick, is just kind of this return to form that Capcom has been experiencing. So for those of you who don't know, Capcom is a storied video game maker. They are the people that are behind Street Fighter 2. Uh, well, Street Fighter, the, the series in general, they now make uh, Monster Hunter, which is one of the most popular games uh, in the world. Um, last year, they or last year in 2018, they had put out Monster Hunter World, uh, which was a major success. But this year they brought back two of their franchises. Um, well, one of the franchises had already kind of been back recently, but they kind of returned to the world that everybody knew. Uh, when they created a remake of Resident Evil 2, um, basically updating the old PlayStation game uh, for a new generation. And I, I think it was a really cool game. Um, it was something that was really awesome to be able to check out how they updated the game, how they made it work, uh, moved it away from the kind of late 80s, uh, early 90s, um, action pacing and storytelling to be a bit more contemporary yet still maintaining um, a little bit of that silliness that it needed to be what it is uh, and on top of that they also put out Devil May Cry 5 uh, which is the latest in the Devil May Cry series um, which is a character action game where you assume the role of essentially a a demon hunter uh, and you kind of follow their storyline and you know, the reason why both of these are really on the list is just the level of polish that these games have had um, and their ability to kind of take these older properties, one that kind of, you know, was started on the PlayStation, another that was started on the PlayStation 2, and really updating them for today, uh, making them work uh, within, you know, the kind of the new technology that is out there. 
making them pretty, making them dazzling, making sure that they still have the, you know, the mechanics in a lot of senses that you need to keep fans of the originals interested while also giving new fans something to jump on board with. Um, and I feel like both of them really did such a good job of not forgetting what those games are and who they are for, yet also bringing them into kind of like a new era. Um, and so that was it was really excited to see that company who, you know, again, like I grew up playing, you know, a lot of Capcom games, everything from Street Fighter to Final Fight to Mega Man. Um, so being able to see them, you know, really prosper in this way and come back, um, you know, was really excited and it got me excited to see, all right, Resident Evil 3 remake is going to be coming out. You know, I can't wait to experience that, even if I may not play through it all myself, you know, even if I'm watching a friend play it, uh, I, I'm really excited to continue to dive into that world. So I definitely think those are those are a couple of games that were, were really interesting to me. Another thing on the list of things that uh, you might have forgotten came out this year is Jordan Peele's movie Us. And I know for some folks, this film was a little bit challenging, especially coming off of Get Out. They were hoping for something to be a little bit more clear, a bit more of a direct story. Um, but, you know, I for me, it still really worked. It was a film that I wanted to see multiple times and I did see multiple times. I, I saw it once by myself. I saw it and led a discussion about it with the Paul Robeson Cultural Center um, at work. I also went and saw it with my family. And, you know, for me, it was just such an interesting film, visually, narratively. Uh, I think Lupita Nyong'o gave one of the best performances of the year, and she is just continually being overlooked in a lot of different ways for the work that she did uh, towards the beginning of this year in that film. Um, I think the score and, and soundtrack are brilliant. Um, you know, I just think overall it was such, I, I find it really enjoyable, even though I know a lot of folks find it frustrating. I think there's a lot of great ideas there. And I think there, there is kind of this challenge that we are facing right now where everybody expects everything to be kind of direct and have like very, very tangible meaning. And I think there is a tangibility to the meaning in this film, but because it's still somewhat abstract, I, I think that's what people really find frustrating about it. And, you know, I think, again, part of what I love about good film, about good cinema, uh, something we'll come back to later, uh, is just the idea of the conversations that we can have about it. So even if Us wasn't everybody's favorite, the number of conversations that I was able to have about about that film with different people and what they took away from it, what they loved about it, what they didn't like about it, um, you know, their search for answers, their search for meaning, um, even like, you know, when I was leading a conversation about it, you know, people were looking stuff up while we were having that conversation. And it's like, you know, there were certain symbols that, you know, I wasn't quite sure of even at the time that I was leading the conversation and people were looking those up um, so that they could add to the conversation that we were having. And I just, I just think it's fun. I think that's something that can do that for us, that can, can in a way bring us together and cause us to have those conversations 
is something that's really masterfully done. And so I, I'm really looking forward to the things that Jordan Peele brings us in the future. I know not everything's gonna be perfect. I know people have had some issues with his Twilight Zone series. I have not checked it out yet. Um, you know, but, but again, I mean, that's that's the thing. Not everything is going to be 100% perfect every time. I think Get Out was a very strong film out the gate. And so in, in a way that's kind of set up some hurdles for him because, you know, unfortunately, just because of the way that we think about media, everybody is going to compare everything that he does to Get Out now. And so I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he continues to make the films that he's going to make, yet still kind of, you know, in a way tries to work around these, again, like I'll just use the word hurdles that, that he's kind of set up for himself by having Get Out be such a strong film. Uh, so moving out of Jordan Peele and kind of that, that horror area, I think one of the big films that I would be remiss if I did not talk about this year is uh, Avengers Endgame. Um, there's not so much that I have to say. There is an entire two episodes of Stay Watching dedicated to Avengers Endgame. One, a spoiler-free episode talking about the MCU, you know, 10 years of the MCU and reflecting on it, as well as another episode really getting into the spoilers of it. Um, I, you know, it's not a perfect movie. I like Infinity War better, um, but I think what Endgame has, was able to do really well, unlike what we've seen with stuff like Game of Thrones or even Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is it was able to take a whole bunch of storylines, bring them together and bring them to a close in a fairly satisfying way. You know, I know for everybody, it's not going to be perfect, especially for fans of those newer characters who wanted more Black Panther or wanted more Doctor Strange or wanted whatever. Um, but you needed to tell the story and close the story out for those starting Avengers. And I think they did a really good job of that. I think it... You know, it's a long movie, but I think it does what it's doing well. Um, I, on repeat viewings, I saw that movie a few times in theaters. I never found myself really that bored with it, always had a good time. I think just the theater reaction of going to see that film was, was really exciting. The energy around it was kind of amazing. And, you know, I, I think that's one of those things where it was such an event um, that that really added to it and you know so i i feel like it's it might be a while before we have something like that again i know on the tv end like we talked i had the episode where we talked about you know with game of thrones ending the fact that event tv might not quite be the same thing anymore you know people aren't it may be harder to have that water cooler conversation about all the things that are coming out right now and so I think Avengers Endgame was something that was kind of um, a, a perfect cap to the MCU and what we've had so far. I know technically Spider-Man Far From Home came afterwards and, and in a way was kind of like an epilogue. Um, though for me personally, I wish they had given Endgame a little bit more room. I know Marvel hasn't put anything else out since Spider-Man Far From Home, and I think the next film is like March or something like that with Black Widow, um, you know, but there's that piece of me that, that wishes they had kind of just taken more time off after uh, 
Avengers Endgame, despite how much fun I might have had with Spider-Man Far From Home as well. But, you know, I, I again, like if you really want to hear myself and, and my friend Mike Perez go in on Avengers Endgame, you know, check the back catalog. Like we had a lot to say about that. And and I think that was a really big and fun moment for the year. Um, so I guess in a way, kind of getting into my summer, there were a few things that kind of stood out. Before I get to the summer, you know, um, I guess I, I want to kind of uh, detour into uh, a podcast that I kind of, um, I guess I would say I rediscovered this year. So um, with Jesus Mero's show coming to Showtime, which um, if you know, you know, um, it's one of those things that check it out. If you like it, you're going to like it. If you hate it, just don't try too much of it. Um, but I, I got, I'm really into Jesus Mero and their style of humor. Um, and I had a lot of fun with their show. And so I started to go back and, and re, you know, started listening to the Bodega Boys podcast again. Um, and it's not clean, uh, definitely not for the faints of heart, um, but it's a lot of fun. And it's a it's a kind of it's a sort of humor that I don't get in most of the other things that I'm looking for. Very non sequitur, really all over the place. A lot of sports reference, a lot of, you know, music reference, stuff that, you know, I don't always get to talk about with people. And so it's just a lot of fun uh, for me to kind of have that thing. And so, you know, in between everything else, in between drives to the movie theater to work, things like that, uh, being able to each week listen to that podcast has been great. A couple of other podcasts that I that I've really spent a lot of time listening to this year uh, keep it, uh, which is just a great kind of pop culture and society kind of podcast. Um, I think they do a really good job of analyzing some of the things that are going on in the world of entertainment and talking about them, um, as well as getting into some, uh, politics. Um, I also have been a really big fan of today explained, uh, which I've started listening to before, uh, 2019, uh, but but really was listening to every day this year. I think they do a good job of really taking individual news stories uh, and diving into them, getting you to understand kind of the ins and outs of them and, and why you should really care about them. Um, another episode, another podcast from the Vox uh, podcast initiative that I've been listening to uh, is Reset. It's a more recent podcast, but it's really looking at the way that tech uh, technology intersects with society. And I think it's been a, a really interesting, uh, it's been really interesting so far. I mean, so they've had, uh, episodes about AI grading kids homework, um, and what the implications for that are. Uh, there have been episodes about kind of like the big, you know, advancements that we're seeing. There was one episode on kind of Elon Musk and, and like his kind of cult of personality and kind of what has gone into making Tesla Tesla. Um, there's been an episode on the people that are, you know, packing, um, you know, shipping for Amazon. It, it, it's just a such wide variety of topics and they're all very, very interesting. Uh, and another show, probably the last show that I'll talk about right now, because there's so many shows. There's so many shows that I can talk about. There's probably a bunch that I'm forgetting right now. 
But another show that I've been really enjoying this year is uh, Yo! Is This Racist? Uh, which is basically a couple of comedians. They basically update you on the week's racism news, so what racist stuff has happened. Um, and then they sit down with a special guest, interview them for a little bit, and then they take voicemails um, and answer kind of people's uh, racism questions. Usually they don't help those people, so a lot of times it's just a, a good way, a good source for some humor. But every now and then they have some really good tidbits or some great uh, uh, great conversation starters about uh, what how to respond to certain situations or if a certain scenario is in fact racist or not. So um, I, I just found that podcast to be a lot of fun. Again, what I would say is all of this stuff, it may not be for you. What I would say is take a listen to an episode or two, you'll kind of know right away, is this your speed or not? Um, you know, all of the people have very distinct personalities and there's a specific voice and so, you'll kind of know like, all right, this works for me. This doesn't work for me. Um, just because I like it does not mean you're going to. Uh, there's so many different factors that go into our tastes, um, which is something that I just want to kind of continually remind you of there because there are going to be things on this list that I'm talking about today that I really enjoy that I know people do not like. Um, and, you know, I think that's something to keep in mind. And, you know, I I want to find a way to kind of cultivate as much of a judgment-free zone as possible. I know that I'm not always the best at not yucking other people's yums, uh, but I'm trying to be better about it, and um, I hope you all can be too. Uh, so moving away from kind of podcasts, one of the things that kind of ruled by late spring, summer, I'm trying to remember when it actually came out. Uh, was Euphoria, this kind of dark high school drama uh, starring Zendaya. And it, it was just something that like visually, you know, like everything from the visuals to the music, to the cinematography, to uh, the writing, the acting just really clicked with me. There was something that, you know, I watched the show and I was like, this is an aesthetic that I love. The use of colors, the the fashion of the show, the way hair and makeup were done, um, the dark but still fun nature of the show because it, it's such a, a weird show where it's like you have kids, essentially kids, young adults, whatever you want to phrase a high school student as, who are dealing with some tough situations, whether that be, you know, the way that people are reacting to, you know, their their own circumstances in life, you know, trying to make ends meet by dealing drugs, using drugs to get over the loss of a loved one and, and finding themselves addicted and, and the turmoil that that puts their family through. Um, searching for themselves, searching for a way to be loved uh, when you don't have the best role models around, um, trying to be comfortable in your own skin, your own body, finding your power. Uh, it, it's just such an interesting show to me. And, and, and like, I know, you know, it's it's a bit disconnected from, you know, the, the total reality that, that, you know, kids, high schoolers face. I mean, it's not 
totally in the realm of reality every single thing that's going on in that show. Um, but I think a lot of it does pose some really interesting questions and can start better conversations for those of us who might be older to really kind of reflect on um, and maybe have a better sense of how we should approach talking to that younger generation. Plus beyond that, like outside of anything serious, like it is just what I would consider a cool show. I mean, I, I think I, I watch it and even though some of the stuff is really heartbreaking that you might see in it, like, you know, from again, aesthetically, it is just so masterfully done. I think they do a really great job with including these, these wild kind of dream sequences, scenarios. They use montage really well. Um, it's just such a well-built show, and I just think it's a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to see where they go in future seasons and hope they can keep up that momentum. Um, and kind of on that, like, dark high school tip, I think two other films that I found that were really great this year um, that kind of also kind of weighed into that world, like the dark underbelly of high school, are uh, Loose... Uh, which is a film starring Kelvin Harrison Jr., who may be one of my favorite actors this year. Um, as this high school student, um, the son, uh, he's, he's basically an, an, a refugee who is uh, adopted by this white family. He is a valedictorian. He is this just great all-around student. And you know he has issues with his teacher played by octavia spencer and it, it's just really interesting how they kind of weave this story together um if i remember correctly it is based on like a stage play um and it really plays out that way but at the same time they do such a good job of adapting it for film and making it work and it's just this tense tense film all the way throughout and i know that's going to be challenging for a lot of people like and that again that's something that i'm going to come back to like there is a certain challenge that tense movies you know kind of place on people um that make it difficult to enjoy them but i, I feel that that loose was just such a great film to watch uh the other film that uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr. was also in that I really enjoyed this year, or maybe not enjoyed, but really loved and, and kind of think people should see, despite some of the difficulty it might pose, is Waves. And again, it's this story about a high school wrestler and, you know, the way his relationships change once he gets injured and, um, you know, has to kind of... Um, not has to, but uh, once he finds himself taking um, pain medication illegally uh, to kind of treat himself. And so uh, this is another film that I would say is very tense and is quite a bit to work through and can be challenging for audiences to watch. But, you know, I, I think it's another film that's just so well done from you know, the perspective of the cinematography from the score, which is a Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, you know, collaboration. Uh, those two can do no wrong. They're going to have something else on my list later. Um, but I, I think this film does like a lot of stuff really well. Uh, what I would say is if you haven't seen it and you don't know much about it, just make sure that you kind of brace yourself 
Um, there is some really strong, hard uh, imagery in this, um, and there are some things that occur that are, are, can be incredibly upsetting. So um, I definitely think Waves is one that's also worth checking out. Um, so jumping back uh, into the summer, because I know Waves was a bit more of a recent release, probably my favorite film of the year is uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And, and I was going to save this to talk about last, but I, I think it is important just to kind of talk about it when it comes to you. And so this film, I think one of the themes of this year is really, um, you know, class struggle, uh, gentrification, finding your place. Um, those things have been in a lot of the films that I've really loved this year and a lot of the, the media production that I really well, loved this year. You know, because even though a lot of the a lot of the people that we might see in Euphoria might be a little bit well to do, that idea of searching for place, for searching for where you belong, is an important theme. Um, and we see this in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. We see it in Hustlers. We see it in Parasite. We see it in uh, Little Women. We see this happening in so many films and so many tv series that came out this year um even watchmen in a way like i mean there's there's a lot of other stuff going on there but that search for where do i belong what is my purpose is inherent in so many things and i feel like the last black man in san francisco for me was one of those films that did such a good job of speaking to that narrative and so really what this film is about is a young man who is trying to get back to what he knew as his childhood home um and he has the story about this home and what it means to him and what it means to his family and how he holds on to that in order to kind of try to make his dreams become a reality and to kind of find his way out of this you know poverty that he's facing to in a sense find something more um and throughout his kind of journey to get back to this house to, to reclaim his family home um it's kind of intercut with his friend's journey of kind of finding his voice as a playwright as a storyteller um you know and how the members of their community inform the different things um, that are going on in their world and how, in a sense, those people that they have seen throughout their entire lives are disappearing because of the way that San Francisco is gentrifying and changing and pushing that element, pushing those people, those incredibly important people out of the city. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that, like, I can't it's hard to sell you on a film on here because you know it's it's purely what i think and i know not everybody is going to be able to handle this film i think i might have talked about it during my um review episode on this this film where it's like you know at the end of my screening there was a, a woman exclaiming like i don't know what that was about i don't know what that was saying and so I know there are people who are going to struggle with this film. It is long. There are moments of, you know, silence. There's stuff that people might consider boring. Um, but for me, it was just so beautiful and moving. And it spoke to me on this really, 
I, I hate to phrase it like this, but it spoke to me on this really spiritual almost level. And I think that that's the important thing about good cinema, about good film is it's going to speak to you on this level that potentially other people might miss completely because they are not in tune with that. They're not on that wavelength. Um, but this is a film that I think needs to be seen. I think it has a message that's incredibly important for now and for our future. Um, I think it is beautifully directed. I think the cinematography is amazing. The score is beautiful and haunting. And that's the way that I would describe this film. It is something that has kind of haunted me since I've seen it. Like, you know, realistically, it's it's like it's like watching a ghost drift through San Francisco and trying to, you know, reclaim this place that it's lost. And, you know, I, I, I just find it to be such a beautiful and moving film. Uh, I know some people have some issues with the ending. Um, they wanted something a bit more definitive, but I think poetically it just works kind of perfectly. Um, that's my opinion. It is on Amazon Prime uh, right now. If you have an Amazon Prime account, I believe you can watch it for free. So The Last Black Man in San Francisco, my personal favorite film of the year or tied. I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, luckily, I don't have to make lists for that kind of thing, but um, I definitely think it is worth checking out. So just as a quick palate cleanser, let me talk about a few things on Netflix that I really kind of liked this year. One of those being Always Be My Maybe, uh, starring um, Ellie Wong and Randall Park with a special guest appearance by Keanu Reeves. Um, I just thought this was a really fun movie. It's, it's light. I think one of the great things about Netflix right now is it's the perfect place for romantic comedies where... You know, it's probably not a movie that I would pay to see in theaters, but I did find it to be a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the story. I really enjoyed the actors. I thought the comedy was great. Um, I think the music that they produced for Randall Park's character within this was a lot of fun. Um, I, I just think there were a lot of things going for this that I, I really thoroughly enjoyed. and. You know, I, I'm I'm excited to see what they do with kind of more of this kind of thing on this platform. Um, another Netflix film that I find myself really enjoying this year was I Am Mother. Um, and so basically this is a film uh, where a, a, you know, a child is being raised by a robot in this bunker and one day someone from the outside tries to get into their bunker and you know it's a great kind of sci-fi horror film uh, i'm gonna call it maybe thriller is more of the right word it's not quite a horror film um though some aspects of it might be classified as horror um i just think it's a really interesting film to see made on netflix it's a great kind of i don't want to call it like a high sci-fi concept but like it's it's something that I wasn't exactly expecting to see on Netflix, but I think it does a really great job. The 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 effects work, the limited budget that they had, and what they were able to make happen, uh, it's really good. I think it's it is thrilling and suspenseful, and it, it's just it, it's it's really kind of 
again, like, I don't know if I would necessarily call it fun, uh, but I think they do a really good job of, of kind of putting it out there. Um, and I, I kind of thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Um, if you have seen it, I, I would definitely like to know what your thoughts on were it on it. If you are into sci-fi or into thrillers, I think you should check it out because I think there's, it's, it's doing some cool things and I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, so moving away from Netflix uh, for a moment, uh, one of the things that was also really cool uh, more towards the summer was uh, getting retweeted by The Rock. Uh, so when I went to see Hobbs and Shaw, I had made some comments about um, <laughs> basically how uh, an older woman was uh, very excited to see The Rock uh, in this film. Um, and had tweeted such, and The the Rock uh, retweeted me talking about how his films are great for all people from ages 8 to 80, and it was just a lot of fun to get uh, that type of exposure to to get a, a retweet from the man himself. Um, for those of you who don't know, I do enjoy The Rock a lot, and um, I guess one of the other things I would say for 2019, uh, for my year in the rear view, is that uh, I actually had some fun going back and starting to watch wrestling again. Um, I did not expect to. Uh, it really, I have no idea where it came from. One day I just said, hey, let me go back. Let me list, uh, Let me start watching something that I used to watch as a kid. I really honestly had not really watched wrestling, wrestling seriously since I was in high school. Um, I was a big, big SmackDown guy for a while. Um, you know, Attitude Era wrestling was really exciting for me. Um, growing up in the 90s, like you you have a very specific memory of what wrestling was and kind of how it worked. And, you know, so I had always kind of struggled with it as it changed and as it, it had always been silly, but it kind of got to a point where I was like, all right, this is like a little too much for me. So. Um, waiting back in, you know, it had been kind of tough at first because it was just like, oh, all right, like it's still kind of silly. But then as you kind of get down to it and, and watch the storylines unfold and and basically watch the mechanics of it, you know, watch how they try to put someone over and seeing if the audience responds to them or not, seeing if they work as as a heel, seeing if they work as a, as a face. Um, basically if they work as a good guy or a bad guy, um, watching characters shift from being like basically the face of the company good guy to being the face of the company bad guy within, you know, within the course of basically within the six months that I had kind of watched, you know, gone back to watching wrestling, watching some of these folks in WWE specifically um, kind of make that change had been really interesting. And so just relearning kind of the ins and outs of the matches and and kind of how they are designed how are they in a sense choreographed um you know and being able to kind of sit there and being able to kind of say like all right they're going to do this next and you know just kind of having a little bit of fun with that uh but at the same time uh we also on tv got a new you know player in the game aew all elite wrestling um, which is in a sense, bringing back some of the kind of like, um, I guess I would call it like harder hitting wrestling, you know, more emphasis on the wrestling itself, less emphasis on the storylines. And so 
basically the sons of the legendary Dusty Rhodes um, are a part of this thing. Uh, Cody Rhodes is kind of the face of it. Um, and basically it's, it's all of these great wrestlers, a lot of them former WWE, some of them, you know, international wrestlers, people who've been in New Japan and have, you know, competed in all of these different, you know, in, in lucha circles and all of these different things coming together and really kind of creating a new wrestling stable. Um, again, focused on kind of real wrestling. And so that's been a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, obviously they, they because they're focusing more on wrestling, their storyline work isn't as good. So there is a bit of a challenge in getting invested in it uh, week in and week out, especially since they also have kind of a limited roster that they're working with. And so even though WWE still has the same problem where you're seeing a lot of the same people week after week, you find yourself just wanting to see just new and different matchups. And so, um, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's cool seeing people do awesome moves again. I think one of the things that, you know, is a problem with the WWE is a lot of stuff just gets stale. Um, you know, and you know, you, if you've seen certain people wrestle every single week, you know, you know, everything that they're going to do and their matches almost always play out the exact same way. Um, and I feel like AEW, although it, does still potentially have some of those issues they're able to mix it up a little bit better uh especially because not all of those people have the same kind of recognition right now um and so as long as they can kind of keep mixing it up and doing some different things with it i think they might be able to avoid being you know kind of becoming stale like that so really interested to see where things go from there i i'm going to stick with this a little bit longer um i do want to record a wrestling episode in the future so if you're listening to this and you are someone who does keep up with wrestling and you are interested and potentially want to come on the podcast and talk about wrestling with me let me know uh i would love to have you on here and really kind of get to talking about some of this stuff Jumping back over to video games real quick, one of the things that was a staple of my summer was the game Fire Emblem Three Houses. Um, and I'm gonna keep this one short and sweet. Um, Fire Emblem Three Houses is a role-playing turn-based strategy game. Um, basically, you get these different units and you move them across a map um, and you have them attack and it's all about strategy. If a unit is killed in battle, they are lost for the entire game. Um, that's one of the big kind of sticking points of it, though this version of the game allows you to roll back time to rethink some of your moves and things like that. And so um, definitely like a really fun game to play. It's something that since the Fire Emblem games started coming out here on the Game Boy Advance, because we hadn't really had them before that, um, I got really into the series, have always kind of enjoyed it. It is pretty typical fantasy fair. Um, this time around, they made the game much more about like a, a relationship sim in a sense. So you are building up friendships with the different units that you are going to bring into battle um, and you're recruiting people to join your team and everything like that. Um, it's basically built around this school, um, which is where all of these different noble families and non-noble families have sent their children to get officer training uh, for essentially um, 
all of these warring factions. And so just kind of seeing how the story unfolds uh, was really cool. And one of the elements that they've introduced in this one is, is a level of uh, immense replayability because because you have three specific leaders that you can choose from, they each have their own story paths. And some of those story paths have multiple decisions that you can make to kind of change the flow of the game and of the story. And so um, it's something that I sunk a lot of hours into this summer. I will be going back. I, I'm like halfway through a, a second playthrough of the game on another storyline. Um, but it's just something that's really cool and, and it gives a lot for you to do. And so it's definitely been something that I, I've enjoyed having in my Nintendo Switch. So some other films that I definitely think are worth checking out this year. Uh, the Farewell, I believe, I, I think that was a really great film. Um, looking at the idea of loss and family and how we how we decide to live uh, when we know someone in our family is going to die um, and, you know, kind of the challenge of kind of living life uh, with that knowledge and how do we comfort those around us? How do we deal with having to say goodbye? Um, and so like on a lot of personal level, on a, on a personal level that, that really spoke to me in this really profound and beautiful way, I think Aquafina gives a tremendous performance this year. Um, and I just think it's it's both brilliant uh, from, a, from a drama perspective, from a comedy perspective, it is able to do both and do both well. Um, I think it was a lot of fun. It's it's a moving, emotional movie, and I think everybody should watch it. Um, another film that uh, what's much more divisive this summer uh, is Ari Aster's Midsummer. Uh, so coming off of his film Hereditary, I think there was a lot of excitement for this one, and you know, kind of like Jordan Peele's Us, I think people were a little bit uh, disheartened uh, by what they got. Not because it's not good, uh, but because it wasn't what they expected it to be. Um, and they wanted something a bit more direct. Um, I think there is, in some ways, there's a lot of emptiness in Midsommar, which could be challenging for certain viewers who, you know, want those moments to be filled with something. Um, but I feel like there's a sense of emptiness that is important to the story that's being told here. You know, just like, you know, within The Irishman, Martin Scorsese's use of time and making that film longer is important to the actual story being told. I think Midsummer's emptiness, its quietness is a piece of that film as well that's necessary for the specific intense, tense feeling that you're supposed to get from this film. Um, I think from an art direction perspective, it was brilliant. Um, I, I'm not going to say that it's the best film, but I think it was something that was really interesting. It was something that's fun to talk about. Um, I think it does a lot of things really well. Um, and I think just like kind of the, the audience reaction to it was a lot of fun to engage with as well uh, because it is such a challenging film. Uh, so moving from something that might be a little bit heavier like Midsummer, to something that's a little bit more fun but still deals with uh, the challenging natures of relationships, we'll say, uh, Ready or Not uh, was, was a lot of fun. Um, it's a thriller um, where a woman marries into a family 
Um, each year they play, a, uh, each time someone marries in, they play a game. And if you're unfortunate and draw the hide and seek card, you have to hide until morning. Uh, otherwise the family will kill you and sacrifice you because something may or may not happen to them. Um, and I think it is a lot of fun. Uh, Samara Weaving does a great performance in this film as kind of the, the wife that is trying to survive. Um, I thought it again, like, I, I think one of the things, you know, we talked a lot about, um, kind of class as being a major theme this year. This film also has it where her character is coming from, you know, a, a, we'll call it a, a less to do background. Um, and she's marrying into this wealthy family. And so there is kind of like that, that class warfare aspect to it. Um, there's this recurring thing where their, their maids are essentially disposable. Um, and I, and I think that is, is something that even though this is like a fun kind of schlocky horror thriller, um, I do think it does a good job of planting that this stuff is somewhat important. And so for those who are looking for that type of commentary, it is there and there's something said of it for people who just want to enjoy this as again, fun, schlocky horror thriller, they're able to do that. So I think there's something fun when a film is able to kind of work on both of those levels. And I think Ready or Not is a film that does that really well. And again, it's it's a shorter, more fun movie. Um, you know, definitely check it out if that's in, is if that's your thing. Uh, remember, it is bloody though, um, so if you're not into blood gore, uh, you might want to stay away. Uh, so just, whew, man, getting through here. Um, hopefully, this won't take too much longer. Um, but a couple of other things that I wanted to talk about real quick. Um, so one of the things I would say is Shia LaBeouf in general. Uh, two of the things that I like that he did this year a lot were um, the, the Peanut Butter Falcon, uh, which is essentially a story of a young man with Down syndrome find, trying to find his way to a wrestling school and uh, running into uh, another young man who is dealing with some some really you know tough troubles um himself um and kind of how they become this new family unit on their way to get um the young man with down syndrome to this wrestling school and so it's it's this it's a it's a mark twain kind of story set in kind of the modern u.s south and and i, and I just think it's it's a really interesting kind of heartwarming film um, that really looks at kind of differently abled people, people who are also dealing with, you know, emotional traumas and, and kind of how, how they should still be looked as looked at as kind of these full people, these full beings that, you know, they don't always have that opportunity to be seen as. And I, and I just like, this is one of those films that I feel like a lot of people have forgotten at this point in the year. Um, it came out during the summer, I believe. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's just one of those things where it's, it's, it's hard for films when they come out so early for people to still be talking about them. But I think this is a film that is beautiful. It is worth watching. 
Um, I think right now it's mostly available to rent on a bunch of different things, and I think you should do so. Um, I think it's one of Shia LaBeouf's great performances. I think the young man, uh, Zach Gotsagan, Gotsagan does a really great job in this film. Um, and there's some other great cameos and performances that I don't really want to ruin. Um, I think it, I think it's, it's a, again, it's a really beautiful film. I think it's worth watching. The other great Shia LaBeouf work that I saw this year uh, was the film uh, Honey Boy which is basically the story of his life uh, growing up and his relationship with his father. Um, and I think it is really interesting in that um, you see Shia LaBeouf play his own father and really kind of channel um, what it is about him um, that he kind of found challenging and working through a lot of his emotions and trying to um, you know, in a sense, find a way to forgive his father for some of the experiences that they've had. And so um, the screenplay was written by Shia LaBeouf. Uh, the film was directed by Alma Harrell. Um, hopefully I'm pronouncing Harrell. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I always feel bad when I pronounce people's names wrong. Um, I think it, it can be a hard movie to watch. It's definitely emotionally challenging. Um, but I think it's beautiful, and I, I do feel that it does a good job of kind of tapping into, you know, in, in a sense, that idea of forgiveness and, and you know, a, a self-reflection that's often needed. Uh, because this is, you know, outside of reflecting on growing up, it's also kind of reflecting on um, Shia LaBeouf's, you know, substance abuse issues and his need to go to, to therapy and to get himself clean and all of those things. And I, and I think it does a really good job of balancing all of that and being a really heartfelt, emotional, you know, reflection on oneself and one's experiences. So I definitely think that is worth checking out. Um, obviously the other thing that I would be remiss to not talk about is, um, Martin Scorsese. And so I know I had an episode on is the Irishman too long and everything like that. I still think there's a lot of brilliance in the Irishman, even though it's not my favorite of his films. But really what I want to talk about is kind of the conversation surrounding Martin Scorsese um, and some of his comments that he made about Marvel movies and then kind of more blatantly and more specifically about comic book movies um, and about kind of the theme park mentality that a lot of people have been taking with cinema. Um, and the challenges that poses to kind of real auteur cinema. And, you know, I'm not going to get into it too much here because I'm going to try to save it for another kind of follow-up episode. Um, but I think while some of the discourse was really annoying around the way that people chose to interpret and respond to his comments, uh, myself included, I had wished I had kind of stayed a little bit more even keeled, waited until a little bit more information was out about what he was saying. Um, and had really kind of crafted something a bit better. I think the conversation around cinema, what's cinema, what's not cinema, how we kind of navigate those spaces and think about film, think about storytelling, think about movie making. I think there's a lot of nuance and interesting facets there. And so while I still don't agree 100% with the way that he chose to direct his comments i do understand what he means and i do feel a lot of that um 
And I, I, I do love engaging with that conversation. So one of the things that I would really say is like, I think one of the great things about this year, especially the back half this year, um, seeing something like Joker and then hearing Martin Scorsese's comments or Joker being something that is directly referencing Scorsese's works, um, you know, and kind of thinking about that mentality about how a lot of these folks that are doing these comic films and things like that are inspired by folks like Scorsese, inspired by those great auteurs, um, but they are making kind of these mass market entertainment pieces is such an interesting thing for me. And, you know, I just, again, I think it's just like, it's such an interesting, cool concept to think about and talk about. And even though we may not get anywhere with it talking about it, I just think it's a lot of fun to talk about. And I like when people are able to introduce ideas like that, that actually get people fired up and passionate and wanting to talk about things, especially in relation to cinema. So um, another film that I'm going to talk about real quick that isn't necessarily the best film, um, but I think does have something really interesting to say that resonated with me is Ad Astra or Dad Astra or brad dadsta uh basically the film where uh brad pitt deals with his daddy issues in space um i, I say that jokingly but I, I think it is another one of those films that I, I really liked the messaging of it i think the beginning of that film is really well crafted I, I do struggle a bit with certain aspects of the end of the film um but just the idea of a man trying to live up with the image that he has created of his father in his own mind um, is really this kind of interesting story device. And I think there's a reflection on masculinity that we have seen in a few movies lately that I want to see more of. Um, and I, and I just think it, it does a really good job of, of starting that conversation. You know, the problem is the way that it was sold to people, the way that it was advertised as a space action movie, I think will make it difficult for people to get on board with those messages because they're going to watch it and say, oh, this isn't the Brad Pitt space action movie I thought it was going to be. Um, but if you're willing to have that conversation about masculinity and be a bit more introspective about the way that we think about what it means to be a man and what is expected of a man, um, you know, from not showing emotions to their ambitions to, you know, who they see as their role models. I, I think this film has a lot of really interesting stuff to say um, and does a good job of getting you to think about those things. So. Almost there, people. Almost there. Um, so one more video game that I'm going to talk about today is The Outer Worlds. And um, while it may not be a perfect game, I think that's the thing for a lot of this is not everything is perfect, but I enjoyed it. And that's what matters. It's my podcast. Um, but one of the games that I that I really enjoyed this year was The Outer Worlds. Um, basically, it's from the people that used to make the Fallout games. Um, and it's kind of like their return to form. Uh, basically, you it's an RPG first-person shooter. Um, basically, you, you assume the role of somebody who's woken up from a space colony and you are trying to figure out where you fit in the world and your place in kind of swaying the destiny of you know the universe, in a sense. Um, and I just think there is a lot of fun silliness in this game. 
Um, I do have some issues with the way that it plays and some of the writing and, and the way some decisions play out. But um, if you're into some of the older Fallout games, I think you'll find a lot of fun here. I definitely enjoyed it. Um, and they they do a lot of fun things with weapons. They give you these science weapons that have all sorts of wild effects. Like you can mind control people. You can use a shrink ray. That'll let you kind of shrink your you know adversaries and things like that. So just a lot of fun. And speaking of fun, um, one of the last films that I'm going to talk about, I have a couple of late editions, um, but one of the last films that, that really kind of stood out to me this year, uh, right around uh, Thanksgiving, um, Knives Out came out, uh, and I think that that movie was a lot of fun. Um, you know, a lot of people have kind of compared it to an Agatha Christie, like murder mystery. And while there is murder mystery to it, I, I think... It's not quite as simple as that. I, I or not simple. I, I think it's more simple than that. I mean, you know, I I know the idea is that you're supposed to be kind of looking for the clues and everything like that. But I think it's more fun if you just go along for the ride and follow the story, as opposed to trying to pick up every piece and figure it out. Even though I know for some people that's a lot of the fun. Um, Ryan Johnson directed this, coming off of The Last Jedi which say what you will i i i don't think he's a bad director um i like most parts of the last jedi there's just some structural issues that i had with it um as well as feeling like certain characters were underused here i feel like he has a much more it, it feels like he had a lot more control over everything that was going on in this film you know from what his actors were doing where they were at and, and how their storylines intersect and i just feel like it works as this really nice tight box the performances that he got from everybody were great even if certain people didn't have as much to do but i mean having something where you have um don johnson and tony collette and you know jamie lee curtis and lakeith stanfield and and Chris Evans and you know it, and then you have Daniel Daniel Craig doing this really wild accent as your kind of lead investigator as your your private investigator it, it's just such a fun film and I just had a lot of, I, I just had so much enjoyment watching it uh, my whole family went to see it and we really we really loved it I think the art direction in that film was great. The cinematography was great. Again, the, the score was fantastic. All of the performances were good. It's just an all around fun time at the movies. And I think that's something that's like often missing. Like there's, there's not so much, there's, I wish more stuff that was both good and fun were coming out. Um, you know, and I, I think an example of that that I actually forgot to talk about so far um, was uh, Ford v Ferrari, which I, I feel like is a well-crafted, well-constructed, um, but pretty fun movie. Like, I mean, there are some serious bits and some emotional bits, you know, at, at certain points in the film, but it is a fun film that kind of drives you, <laughs> drives you through it. Um, you know, and, and again, I think it's something that kind of got a little bit lost, but but going back to Knives Out, I think Knives Out is a really fun film. I really enjoyed it thoroughly. I know for people who are really big fans of like the murder mystery genre, they might find the mystery a bit uh, lacking. Um, but if you go into it not really expecting this deep extravagant thing there, 
um, and really are in it for the storytelling and the performances and everything else about it, I think you'll have a lot of fun with that film. Future Larry has to jump in here because I realized after completing this, because I was jumping all over the place, I forgot to talk about Parasite real quick. Uh, Bong Chu Ho's amazing masterpiece of a film that came out this year. Uh, again, one of those films that's looking at class struggle, um, tells the story of this family who is not very well off, um, struggling and, and kind of clawing their way into um, the inner circle of this much wealthier family um, and really kind of finding themselves in there and just what happens, you know, all of the tension of, of trying to rise up from essentially nothing, um, you know, and then what happens when you collide with other people trying to do the same thing. And it's just this really really beautiful film, beautiful, challenging film with these amazing performances, uh, really well-told story. Um, one of the things I would say, one of my biggest frustrations of the year probably, which again, I'm not trying to talk too much about those, but one of my biggest frustrations of the year is with the way that certain things were advertised. This film was advertised as a horror movie, though there are some kind of like horror thriller elements. Those are not all of the film. A lot of it actually plays out like a very dark comedy. Um, and I, I think it is just this really beautiful, beautiful film. Um, so um, it is challenging. It can be hard to watch in places. There are definitely moments that are, you know, incredibly tense. Um, but I think it has an amazing message about class struggle, um, class solidarity. Um, and the things that we do to try to get by. Um, I think it's definitely worth watching. Um, you're gonna hear all about it during awards season. I know it just won Best Foreign Film at the Golden Globes at the time of me recording this. So um, definitely check out that film if you've not had a chance. Um, and it does have subtitles, but that should not prevent anybody from being able to enjoy that film. It's, there, it's, it's, it's an incredible watch and you, you're doing yourself a disservice if you do not watch it. So um, back to what past me recorded, um, you know, and so getting getting towards the end of thing here, uh, things here, there were a couple of late additions for me uh, for this list, uh, mostly because so much media was coming out and so many things kind of ended right at the end of the year or things that I got into right at the end of the year. So um, one of the big ones was uh, Uncut Gems, which had basically a half a year of buildup for me. Um, a lot of film Twitter going wild about this movie, singing its praises. It is not for everybody. I guarantee you most people who are going to see this movie will hate it. Um, that said, I think that Adam Sandler gives an amazing performance. Kevin Garnett is also amazing. Julia Fox and Lakeith Stanfield deliver great performances as well. Um, I just had a lot of, there's just so much tension in this film and you find yourself on the edge of your seat. Like Adam Sandler is not a likable protagonist. And you know, it, it's one of those films that is so incredibly frustrating. You're frustrated by the character, but you're just sitting there and you're wondering where are they going with this? How are they going to get there? Um, 
how is this all going to resolve? And it's just building and building and building and building and building. And I think that that's what is really good about like most Safdie brother films. Like, I mean, that's, that's what they do. Um, I mean, it's, it's just this, this challenge where you're watching this thing and you're just like, there's no way that this can go. And like, how, how could this possibly end in, in a good place? Um, and I think that's something that's like a really interesting thing about this film. It's just like kind of watching where this builds to. So um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film, but I know not everybody's going to like it. I know a lot of people are probably going to be like, it's, I, I don't get it. I tried to watch it. I just don't enjoy it. I don't like him. Because I mean, I think one of the big things is for a lot of people, they need to like the protagonist. And if they don't like the protagonist, they can't get into a thing, which I understand. But at the same time, it's just like, for me, it's like, is the story told well? Do they do a good job of telling the story? Do they do a good job of presenting the visuals of this universe? Does the music work with it? Does everything that goes into making this story happen work? All right, can I look past whether or not I like this protagonist? And am I supposed to like this protagonist? Because I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to like him. Um, and that's purposefully done. Um, but you know, again, not everybody's going to like it. If you do, if you're into kind of these dark comedy crime stories, I think you might have a little bit of fun with this. Um, another late entry for me, uh, the shit storm that is cats. Um, I literally cannot stop thinking about cats. Uh, my family went to see it. We were kind of confused. None of us really liked the musical, but we really wanted to see the movie. And honestly, like we, no, I don't, my sister and I, I don't think we have stopped talking about cats since basically every time we communicate with each other we make some sort of reference to this film um it haunts my dreams i just want it to go away um but it's so interesting to me like how did this thing get made like i i no i'm not gonna go into it right now i i will find another outlet for it just stay tuned i will find some things you express my feelings on cats um Another another kind of end of the year thing that that I ran into uh, was Little Women, uh, directed by Greta Gerwig and uh, starring Saucery Ronan, Florence Pugh, Emma Watson, Laura Dern. Um, just a really beautiful film. Um, I've I had seen like another version of Little Women. I think this is probably a much better telling of that story. I know they've changed some things um, to in a sense, modernize them, but also they've changed some things to do a better job of kind of telling the story and giving um, some of the Little Women more to do, um, or more, I, I guess, more personality. I think one of the things that, um, you know, was kind of troubling about in older versions of this film was just the fact that some of the Little Women came across as um, more or less caricatures without much nuance or depth and i feel like this film does a very good job of establishing that everybody has characteristics and character beyond just what we see on the surface and so you find yourself feeling more for each of them uh whereas in certain versions you might have just been like 
Amy is the worst. I hate Amy. I want everything bad to happen to Amy. Um, in this one, you get a better sense of who she is and why she does what she does. And I, I just really liked it. I just thought it was a really great film. And so the last thing, I promise you the last thing that I'm just gonna talk about, and I'm not gonna go in depth into it here because I'm probably again gonna find some other avenue to talk about it. Uh, right towards the end of the year, I watched all of Watchmen. Um, basically the week before the Christmas break, I sat down, watched all of Watchmen, really enjoyed the series. Think it does an amazing job of speaking to things like, um, racism um as well as generational black trauma and the focus on self and finding yourself finding your family history finding your kind of personal history um uncovering unpacking the things that make you you um i think that more than anything is really what this series is about um, it's about history and limit and, and, and legacy and generational trauma and all of those things. And so being able to watch a show that so thoroughly goes through and unpacks those things, unpacks the ego, um, scratches the id. like, I, I just think it does such a good job. Um, and it was one of those shows that I, you know, I watched it by myself in a single day and then I took it home, you know, and I watched it with my family and, you know, we watched a couple of episodes a, a night and, and got through all of it. And, you know, just being able to share that experience with them and talk about that show and, and kind of what it meant as it was going on um, was just a lot of fun. And, and I thought it was such a well done um, series. And I know that they said that they feel like the story that they told is done. I feel that way too. I hope they don't try to bring it back for a second season. Um, or if they do, that they're telling such a radically different story because I feel like this, uh, it ended in the perfect place. And I think it told a, a really well told story. I know like the ending isn't 100% perfect. I don't think they fully stuck the landing, um, but there is a lot of it that I do thoroughly enjoy. And yeah. That is my 2019 in the rear view. So fam, that was a lot my vocal cords are sore and so because of that i am probably going to take a little bit of a break um i am actually going on vacation so i won't be able to record for next week um but i will be uh planning out some ideas for i guess what we will call season two of stay watching so i will probably take about a month off um and return to you in february um, there might be some adjustments to how the show works and some of the structural changes might occur during the off season. Um, but we will see. Um, in the meantime, definitely let me know what some of your favorite stuff from 2019 is. Let me know what some of your most anticipated stuff for 2020 is. I'm, I'm really looking to hearing from you all on that. Um, as always, hit me up on social media at LarryTron, pretty much wherever. If you want to send me an email, Larry at LM2Photo.com. 
Um, hit me up. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know what you thought about this episode. Do you agree with some of my picks for favorite things? Do you think there was something that I was missing? Um, did I talk your ear off about something and then not even mention it here? Because uh, I know that happens sometimes. Um, but yeah, welcome to 2020. Um, stay tuned. I will be back in the future, fam. Stay watching. Peace. Thank you.